Uh, but we are going to be in a number of places, and I think that will help some. But we're going to start in Deuteronomy and just make our way through the text. I would give you all the places, but we'll keep just moving right, moving right, moving right. And so I think you'll be okay. And if you need to stand up or do something, just do that. This is a very important sermon, a very timely sermon, because I don't think there's anything better than, than what we're talking about this morning. But it's a long sermon. And I wrestled with trying to shorten this thing down several times, but it's just not feasible. Nathan will be leading us in the doctrine of repentance next Sunday. And so this is what we need to walk through this morning. But I want to turn your attention, really the attention of your hearts, toward the faithfulness of God. As we stand on the beginning of a new year, I don't think there's a better thing that we can do this morning than to reflect on the past faithfulness of God over this last year because that will encourage us and fill us hope knowing that no matter what we face this coming year, God will always be faithful. You think about that. I think Hannah and I have had a conversation about that a few years ago, something similar this time of year, and then we walked into COVID, and then, you know, the church did what it did. And so that's the reality of it. We really have no idea of the things that we're going to deal with this year. There's going to be some wonderful things. There's going to be babies born. But God forbid, there may be some that will pass among us. And so there's going to be all things throughout this entire year, but there is one thing that we can rest in with absolute certainty, and that is the unchanging, unfaltering faithfulness of the God that we serve. And so I want us to spend our times uh, this morning thinking about that. Now, I know when we bring up the faithfulness of God, Probably the first thing that happens in your heart is the first thing that happens in my heart, and that's personal experience. We immediately want to run to personal experience. And I could stand up here for the next several hours and share with you about personal experiences of the faithfulness of God to me and my family. And I know, likewise, I could call you by name and ask you to come up here and just share about the faithfulness of God. I know we would feel many hours doing that. But we've got to remember, anytime you approach anything like that, there's a place where you start and there's a place where you end, and that's the same place, and that is the Word of God. And so you have to begin with the Word of God, and you have to end with the Word of God, and then in the middle we can share personal experience because then our personal experience is carefully guarded and guided by the Word of God, and we don't get out of bounds, if that makes sense. And so if you have to start that way, and if you want to understand the faithfulness of God, the first place you have to start is the Word of God. If you want to know what it is, you need to listen to what God says it is. And since we're talking about the faithfulness of God, we need to hear what God says about His faithfulness to us. And so that's where I want to start this morning. But I will say this. This is a lot like it was two weeks ago. You see, to understand the depth of faithfulness, you need context. Two weeks ago, we talked about the love of God. And I mentioned love, and everybody, oh, yeah, I'm comfortable with that. I understand the love of God. I know the love of God, all that. But we walked into the text in some very difficult places. And I think all of you guys were blown away, at least by the conversations that I had. And for my own personal study uh, of studying the love of God, I think we all realize that we don't even begin to comprehend the depth of the love of God. You know, there was one passage that I referred to a couple of weeks ago, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love. There was a particular kind of love that God wanted to demonstrate to us, and it was his own love 
And according to Romans 5, 8, he did that, it says, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. You see, unless you have the context of sinfulness, you can't understand the love of God. It was in the context of a fallen and broken world that you and I see the glory and the depth and the wonder of the love of God because it was in that context in which Christ died. So in the very same way, we talk about the faithfulness of God. You need to understand we need context. We need difficult, painful context to experience in order that we might understand more deeply the faithfulness of God. Now, I realize in the text, when you begin to walk through it, you always need the clear description and you always get that from the text, especially since faithfulness is a characteristic of God. But when you want to understand the character of God, and this should be one question that I could ask anybody in here, where do you go first? And you'd always go to Exodus 34 when Moses actually asked him the question, show me your glory. And so God begins to define himself. We don't have to wonder what he's like. He defines himself. And he says he is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and what? Truth. Now here's what's interesting about that, because if you're going to study faithfulness, and I just typed in the word, that's how you start everything, I expected there to be thousands of references just with the word faithfulness. But in the NASB, there's only 41 which I found very odd. In the King James Version, there's 19. There's 19 times the word faithfulness is used in the context of God, and I'm like, I obviously don't understand what's going on here. The ESV had a lot more. It had 75, but then I figured out why the ESV has more because it translates different words as faithfulness. In fact, what I just read to you, Exodus 34, I didn't use the word faithfulness, but in, in the ESV, it does use the word faithfulness, because it translates truth into faithfulness. It says this, The Lord passed before Moses and proclaimed that He is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And that's a fair translation. In other words, you can't understand faithfulness apart from God because God alone is faithful. And certainly we'll understand that once we get into the New Testament and understand our unfaithfulness. But you do understand we would have no concept of what it means to be faithful if we did not know God. So the essence, if you will, of faithfulness is God. And the essence of God, we could say, is equally faithfulness. Now, just because the word's not there often, you see it. In every story in the Bible, we could literally walk through every book and every story and I could remark about the faithfulness of God. So I just began at the beginning and began to think about particular things. And one of the ones that stuck out to me the most is when Moses showed up to rescue the children of Israel from Egypt. Because if you remember in Genesis, God promised Abraham, your people are going to be in captivity for 400 plus years down in Egypt but I will rescue you. And so it took 40 years to get Moses ready to shepherd those people and rescue them. But you need to understand, when Moses came walking out of the desert, he might as well had a t-shirt on that said, here comes the faithfulness of God, because here came their rescuer, if you will, or their redeemer. God was 
coming to set his people free. God was being faithful. You can turn a couple of pages later and you can watch God be faithful to his people when he guides them with a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day and he leads them across the bottom of the Red Sea and completely wipes out their enemy. They could have got to the other side and began to sing the faithfulness of God. But the word's never mentioned. You turn the next page and you get into Exodus 15 and God begins to give them bread from heaven and water from a rock. And you again can sing about the faithfulness of God because I got a million plus people standing in the desert and they're thirsty and they're hungry. And God says, no, nah, you're going to understand my faithfulness. I'm going to feed you and I'm going to give you water to drink. But the words never mentioned. So you can see it all throughout the Bible, but there's very few places that you hear it. But listen to this, and I found this to be consistently true every time you do actually hear the word. It's always after the fact. In other words, when the Bible speaks about the faithfulness of God, it's at a moment when it's already been proven true. It's been tested, and then it's proclaimed. Now, I find this interesting because marriage and marriage is about to be happening in my family in just a few months. And if you think about it, marriage is a proclamation of future faithfulness, which is odd. I mean, that's biblical. If it, if it wasn't in the text, I would tell you right now, we're doing marriages wrong. But we follow the text when we perform a ceremony, a marriage around here. And it's a promise of future faithfulness. But I can't find that in respect to to God, but that's exactly what we do when we stand up there and commit our lives to one another. We're in effect saying that I will never fail to be faithful to you. I wonder why that we don't follow the pattern of God and when we get to the 30-year mark or the 40-year mark or the 50-year mark, we don't set up the fellowship and have a party and we celebrate the faithfulness of God in a particular marriage for the last 40 years or the last 50 years because that's when it's understood. When you can go, I want you to look back over the last 40 years as you look at your spouse and you tell them, you know, without question, I've been faithful. You see, faithfulness needs that context. And so the first place that we run into it in Scripture that Moses uses in respect to God is in Deuteronomy 31. Now, if you have your Bibles, I want you to flip back to the start of 31. And if you have subtitles, it's super helpful. Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to his people, last sermons. He's about to go up on the mountain and pass or go into the presence of the Lord. So the whole book of Deuteronomy is Moses saying his last things. And if you'll notice the subtitle over 31, it's Moses' last counsel. In other words, these are the last words of the last words that Moses wants to say to his people after shepherding them for 40 years. Moses says, we've got one more sermon. I want you to sit down and I want you to listen to what I'm going to say before I go. Right? So you get to verse 30, or yeah, verse 30 of that last chapter. And I'll read the words to you again, skipping around just a little bit. It says, Then Moses spoke in the hearing of all the assembly of Israel, all of them, the words to this song. He sang the whole thing until it was complete. He wants everyone to hear. Look at 32.1. Give ear, O heavens, and let me speak. Let the earth hear the words of my mouth. And then look at verse 3. For I proclaim the name of the Lord. I ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, His work is perfect. All His ways are just. He is a God of 
faithfulness. And Moses goes, and I got 40 years to prove it. You know, I got called out of the desert to lead you. And the only way that I've ever found you in every single day is stubborn and stiff-necked and rebellious. In fact, if you look over in 32.17, Moses does talk about them. Let me start in 16, 32.16. Here's how the people were. They made God jealous with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked Him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who are not God. To gods whom they've not known. I love the next passage. New gods who came lately. It's just the most recent God you worshipped. Whom the fathers did not dread. But you neglected the rock who begot you. And you forgot the God who gave you birth. So Moses is going to deal with what they were like for the last 40 years. But he begins with talking about what God's been like for the last 40 years. And he says, let me tell you, after 40 years, every single day that we were in that desert, I got nothing to say but the, this one truth. He is a faithful God. You see, you need context. And so this is the first reference that we find in, in, with somebody speaking about the faithfulness of God because they've walked through the long roads. So with that being said, where else are you going to find faithfulness in the text? I mean, if you're in KJV, there's only 19. I thought to myself, well, I know, and Johnny's, if Johnny was in here, he's locking the doors out, outside. If he was in here, he would say Revelations. And I'd say, you're exactly right. Revelations 19. You know what the name of the Lord is in Revelations 19? Faithful. That's just his name. We get to the end of everything, and we recognize the name of God as faithful and true. Because throughout history, from the beginning of time to the end of time, the one thing that we will proclaim certainly is that God has been faithful every single moment of the way. He has never failed. So if I asked you this, and hopefully you get it, where would you find the most references to faithfulness? In every translation, it's the book of Psalms. It should make sense. I've told you that the book of Psalms is doctrine that's been put into practice. It's when we live out the truths of God, right? And so in the Psalms, what you have is people going through very difficult moments and they reflect on the former faithfulness of God where God delivered them and that gives them hope that God will deliver them yet again. Or in the second way you find it, they've come through a great deliverance and they're praising God for His faithfulness. So out of those handful of references that we find in the Bible, the majority of them we find in the book of Psalms. And I encourage you to do your own study and read through all of them. I did, and they're absolutely wonderful, every single context. But I had to pick and choose for this morning, right? So that's how the Bible begins. But let me turn you to personal experience, because I, like I said, I know we all have personal experience of the faithfulness of God. So Paige and I have literally spent hours in a car the past couple of weeks. Hours and hours and hours. So we were coming back from somewhere, from an airport at some point in time, and I asked her, if I told you or if I asked you to please tell me how God has been faithful to us in 26 years of marriage, what would you say? And she started the same place I, I started. When I sat down and wrote this out, she said, our kids. And I've told you guys this before, how many nights we were on our knees at the foot of their bed after they had fallen asleep, praying that God would be gracious to save. Night after night after night 
after night. And there was a season in, in which we enjoyed the fruit of God's faithfulness and we saw them come to saving faith. Also, during that time, even before they could walk, talk, or crawl, we began praying for their spouses. God, would you do the same thing for their spouse? Would you carry them along? Would you bring them to saving faith? Would you let them enjoy a life of worship and service with you? We're enjoying the fruit of that now. I just spent you know, a whole week with Jonathan and Audrey and prayed with them and just rejoiced in their heart to, to serve the Lord, worship the Lord. Those are answered prayers. We're just enjoying the fruit of the faithfulness of God, right? We also talked about provision. That was our second thing. That was my second thing. And this is probably where we understand the faithfulness of God the most. Provision. And I could take up literally the rest of this service telling you about times in which there was a tremendous need for something. Silly as a grill, Chris, that I prayed for. It's been that way our whole lives. We lived in the Northwest, and y'all remember at that time I'd quit my job. We didn't have anything coming in. My wife prays for a microwave. And somebody knocks on our door. It's the same model. It's the same color. It's the same size. I unplugged it, slid it out of that slot, and plugged in a brand new and slid it in that slot. Somebody said, I just thought y'all might need this. And my wife had been praying for that. See, when we think about the, the faithfulness of God, that's one of the first places we go when we think about the provisions of God. And certainly He is faithful, but there is a level of faithfulness that goes even well beyond that. And it's a spiritual faithfulness, and I want to take you there this morning as well. Certainly we need to trust in the faithfulness of God to provide for physical things, but we have to understand there's a greater thing that we need to trust God for, and that's faithfulness in the spiritual things. So while we're still in personal experience, so what about congregational? Has God been faithful this church? What do you think? We've got nine years we've been together. How long could we talk about that? Some of y'all are still here that were here nine years ago. This congregation looks entirely different. And the only thing that we can say and the only one we could ever give credit to for that is God because God is faithful. You know, Sarah's missing this morning. That breaks my heart. But we had a need in the body. Tyler and Wallace had a need and I found this to be true the last nine years. Every time you and I have a need in the context of this body, God says, I got one. I already put them there. And so we actually had somebody that walked away from their job physically for nine months so she could go take care of our missionaries that God called out of here and sent to Thailand because we had a need and God provided Tyler and Wallace and now they had a need and God provides Sarah. You see how this works? God is faithful from beginning to end for every single thing He's doing and wants to do in our midst. I mean, we serve an incredibly faithful God in an amazing number of ways, in ways we, we can't even consider or count. God is faithful to us, right? I do want to spend some little time here because I, I know you're not aware of this. You have forgotten this, but God is faithful for daily needs 
that we completely forget about. While I was at odds, I sat down. I, I was just going to read through whole books. That's what I've been doing over this Christmas break, just sitting down and reading through an entire book. I came to 1 Corinthians, came to chapter 10, and this is what I found there. Listen, no temptation has overtaken you but what is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. As a child of God, when you find yourself in sin, you do need to understand there's always a back door out. You see, Jesus died to set you free from sin, and God, therefore, will not leave you in a locked room with your sin. When we think about a man running from sin, the you know, Bible tells us to flee, right? Who do we see fleeing in the Bible? Who flees from Potiphar's wife? Joseph. Why does Joseph flee? Because God's provided a door. Not only did he provide a door, he provided an unlocked door. In other words, Joseph had an opportunity to escape that situation because God is faithful. We look at Joseph running and we go, way to go, dude. You need to back up and look at God and realize God put the door in the room. And God left it unlocked for the young man to grab it and go running out. And so you need to understand that as you walk into this next year that you're going to struggle with your sin. We all do, but you're not in a locked room. You're not in a room without doors. God is faithful and He will always provide a way of escape. But what you and I have to do is open up our eyes and look. Because we get lost in our sin and we don't even lift up our head nor turn around and look for the door. But God is always faithful. What about this? I'm not going to hang out with these too long. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God. In other words, if you're in Christ, all of your experiences this year are going to be for the good of your soul. I don't care what your experiences are. There's a great possibility that you and I are going to go to the doctor sometime this year and he's going to walk back in with that look on his face, Right? It's not the smile. He's not telling jokes. I remember walking to that doctor's office a few years ago, and it wasn't just the doctor. When the lady sitting at the desk saw my face, she dropped her head. I'm like, that was a really bad thing to do. And as they took me to the room, the nurse didn't even say anything. Her head was down. And I'm like, are you kidding me? You see, there's going to be days like that as we walk through this next year. But we don't have to be concerned about that because God is faithful to work all things to the good of our soul and make us more like Christ. Whether that's cancer, whether that's passing of a loved one, whatever that is, you lose your job. If you're in Christ, God says, I'm going to take all that and I'm going to, I'm going to work in your soul the manifestation of my Son. It will be for your good. And you're like, how is that possible? Because God is faithful. He doesn't leave us in those moments. He uses those moments to bring Him glory i got to keep going. Romans 8, 38. How about this? I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things to come, or nor present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. How about that for faithfulness? If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. 
And because of the faithfulness of God, that will never change. It says any other created thing. Do you know the only uncreated thing is God? And do you realize everything else is created? And he says there is not one single created thing, whether that's physical or spiritual, that can remove you from the love of God. Why? Because you're faithful? Not hardly. Because God is faithful. You see, I can turn page after page after page after page, and we could do this all day. Because God has filled His Word with His faithfulness. But like I said, and I need to come back to this because we don't want to dive off into prosperity theology. Faithfulness needs context to understand it more fully. In other words, don't equate good times and good things necessarily with God's faithfulness. Because God's faithfulness has all kinds of faces. Three and a half years ago, we were in a car wreck. Seven of us. Fireman walked up to me. He pointed at my car where the back and the front was gone. And he said, who was in this? And I turned around and I said, we were. And Jeremy and Rob and Cody are over there helping them. He said, all of y'all got out of that? And I said, yep. He said, any of y'all hurt? I said, nope. He shook his head and he went to the next car. You and I celebrated the faithfulness of God, right? Do you understand that God was equally faithful to Matthew and continues to be? To Ed Richardson and his precious wife, God continues to be faithful. But I said faithfulness needs context for you to understand it. We understood the faithfulness of God in a moment. As our wives came and picked us all up and we hugged and we went home just weeping because we know, oh, that could have been really bad, right? We celebrated the faithfulness of God for a day or two. Do you realize they still sit in the faithfulness of God every single day? As he feeds his son sitting in that wheelchair, he praises God for his faithfulness. If you want to understand faithfulness, you need context. And unfortunately, most of us, if not all of us, have forgotten the faithfulness of God in that moment. And they have not. Just like love, faithfulness needs context if you really want to understand the depth of God's faithfulness. I want to show you how he did that to the son because most people, like I said, we have this tendency to go, oh, faithfulness is when God delivers my son to North Carolina in a car. And I do praise God for that and I do celebrate that. But God's always faithful no matter what happens because that's just who he is. Turn with me to Psalms 91 and I want to show you how this worked in the life of our Lord I'm sorry, y'all, these are difficult things to talk about, but we do need to talk about them, right? Psalms 91. Now, the majority of this psalm, if not all of this psalm, is the Father speaking to the Son. And you're going to really recognize one of these passages, okay? So let's begin in verse 3, 91.3. 
For it is He, the Father, who delivers you, the Son, if you will, from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His pinions, and under His wings you may seek refuge. Notice, His faithfulness is a shield and a bulwark, and a bulwark is a wall or a large shield. In other words, God's faithfulness will protect you. Now watch what He will protect you from. Look at verse 3, or verse 5. You will not be afraid of the terror by night or the arrow that flies by day. You will not be afraid of the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or of the destruction that lays waste at noon. A thousand may fall at your side. Ten thousand of your enemies is going to fall down at your right hand, but it will not approach you. You will only look on with your eyes and see the recompense or the repayment of the wicked. For you have made the Lord my refuge, even the most high your dwelling place. Look at verse 10. No evil will befall you, nor will any plague come near you. And here's what prosperity theology does with that passage. God is faithful, therefore no evil will ever come your way. God is faithful, therefore you're not even going to get sick. Right? Now look at the next passage. For he, and this one is the one you recognize... For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. In other words, the angels are going to keep you from stubbing your toe because God is faithful. Now, where do we see that passage quoted in the New Testament? In the wilderness, in the temptation of our Lord. When Satan says, go ahead and jump off the temple, man. The Bible says the angels are not even going to let you stub your toe. You see, when we think about the faithfulness of God, we've got to be very careful that we don't turn this into physical things and we don't make this the prosperity gospel, right? Did Jesus stub His toe? Well, actually, He did worse than that. They nailed Him to a cross and they crucified Him. So how do you go, no evil will befall you, and yet they hung you on a cross and stuck a sword in your side and bled you out? How do you put those things together? This is how you put those things together. When God says, I will be faithful to you, what He's meaning is the depth of your soul, your very existence belongs to me, and I'll never let anything touch you. In fact, in Matthew, Jesus said, not one not one." hair of your head will be harmed. And he said that to the 12 disciples who had their heads cut off. You're like, what are you talking about? They're not even going to harm, harm a hair on my head. What do you mean? They're going to take our heads off. What I mean is this. You're thinking physical and I'm always thinking spiritual. No evil will befall you in your inner man. You, you're not even going to stub your toe in your inner man. Because I am faithful to carry you the whole way. You see, when we sing about the faithfulness of God, I do ask God to deliver my son while he's on the road. And I do rejoice when God does that. But I know if something different happens, my son won't even stub his toe spiritually because he's in Christ. Therefore, no evil will ever befall him. No pestilence will ever come his way. Spiritually speaking, he's not even going to get sick. Because God is faithful the whole way. 
So when we think about the faithfulness of God, these are the sort of things that we understand. In fact, God sometimes afflicts us Himself so that we can better understand His faithfulness. This is what the psalmist writes in Psalms 119. I know, O Lord, that your judgments are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. In faithfulness you afflicted me. In other words, the writer knew God wanted to teach me about His faithfulness, so I suffered and I understood it. You see, God's worried about the inner man. We're always worried about this man. But sometimes He teaches us hard lessons so we'll remember it's about what's going on in here, right? The worst experience, and this is self-inflicted pain, is found in the book of Lamentations. So walk to the right with me. You'll go through Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then you'll come to the book of Lamentations. I appreciate you guys being with me this morning. I can tell that you are. We've got a few more things to talk about. So God afflicts us sometimes, but sometimes we afflict ourselves. But let me ask you the question before we get into it. If we afflict ourselves, is that going to change the faithfulness of God? Of course, you know the answer to that. No. He never changes, right? Well, watch this. Lamentations is written by Jeremiah, and it is an expression, a detailed description of some of the worst moments in the history of the nation. Okay? If you'll notice Lamentations, I'll start in verse 1, chapter 1, and read just a few verses down to verse 5 because we get the reason for it. But notice verse 1. How lonely sits the city that was so full of people. She has become like a widow who was once great among the nations. She who was a princess among the provinces has now become a forced laborer. She weeps bitterly at night. Her tears are on her cheeks. She has none to comfort her among her lovers. All of her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They become her enemies. Judah, which is the very heart of God, has gone into exile under affliction. Under harsh servitude, she dwells among the nations. She's found no rest. All of her pursuers have overtaken her in the midst of her distress. The roads of Zion are in mourning because no one comes to appointed feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests are groaning. Her virgins no more. She herself is bitter. Her adversaries have become her masters. Her enemies prosper. Notice, here's why. For the Lord has caused her grief because of the multitude of her transgressions or sins. In other words, when you get to Lamentations, it's the worst moment. It's self-inflicted because of their sin. Look at chapter 2, and I just have to bring this up because of how we do things here at Corinth. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. This is how bad it is. Your prophets have seen for you faults and foolish visions, and they have not exposed your sin or your iniquity. In other words, preaching is so bad they no longer talk about sin. That sounds really familiar, right? God says, this is how bad it's gotten, right? But even in spite of that, turn to the next chapter. Look at chapter 3. Look at verse 20. In spite of all of the horror that's taking place in the city and the people of God, watch what Jeremiah does. Surely, 3.20, surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. 
The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your what? Your faithfulness. In other words, God, we've done this to ourselves. We've destroyed everything. Our sin has ruined it all. And yet Jeremiah remembers something. You know, I remember the character of God. I know what He is like. Therefore, we have hope because God is always faithful to His people. And so in the midst of captivity and suffering and death, Jeremiah begins to worship God because he's remembered God. That God is a faithful God. So, I, you know, I, I say that to say this. I don't care where you are this morning. He's like, you don't understand what's going on in my life. It's not good. I, I know. Personally, I'm a sinner as well. But you need to understand that doesn't change who God is. You're but a repentance away from enjoying fellowship with God. It doesn't matter what it is. Because God's character doesn't change. And we have to remember that sometimes when we're in the depth of so much difficulty in our own life. He is who He is. Now, one more place. One more context. Keep turning to the right, just barely. Hosea. Well, we'll go back to the Psalms at the conclusion. We'll let them start us and let us finish it. So two weeks ago, I was using Hosea to teach you about the love of God, right? Y'all remember this? The people are so wicked, God says, all right, great time for me to teach you about my love. So he says, Hosea, the prophet, right? I want you to go get yourself a prostitute and marry her, make her your wife. Can't imagine that. Hosea goes and he finds the prostitute. He marries her, brings her to himself. And God says, all right, I want you to have kids with her. So they have a family together. And then she does what she's going to do. And the prostitute leaves and she goes to another man's house, right? And she lives with that other man. She forgets her husband. She forgets her children. She does the most unthinkable thing. She's unfaithful to him. And she goes and she stays with another man. And God says, all right, second part of this picture, Hosea, I want you to go to your wife, and I want you to buy her from that other man, and I want you to bring her back home, and I want you to love her. This is what we talked about. And you're like, why would you ever want him to do that? Because God says, I'm going to prove to you the depth of my love, and I need the context of your unfaithfulness for you to see my faithfulness. And so for us to understand how great the faith, not just the love of God, but how great the faithfulness of God is, you do understand that He needs to show our unfaithfulness for what it is. We are, in respect to God, indescribably, wickedly unfaithful. We're like a prostitute who can't stay home in our sin. And that does not... And that will not change the faithfulness of God. And that's why he said, Hosea, I want you to go down to that man's house and I want you to buy her back and I want you to love her all the way back to the house because that's who I am, right? So in our great unfaithfulness, we understand God's faithfulness like 
we've never understood it before. And since no record of a faithful man could ever be found among men, God sent His Son, and guess how He is described as coming? With a belt of faithfulness. Isn't that something? The God of glory comes. The one who is the perfect reflection of the glory of the Father. And Isaiah chapter 11 says, with faithfulness tied about his waist. Here comes a man that is finally faithful, right? Never been one born since Adam. It's just been unfaithful, 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 unfaithful the whole way. And God's going to restore us to himself. And the way that he does it, he sends his son. And here he comes wearing a, wearing a belt of faithfulness. And so the greatest way that you and I understand the faithfulness of God is when we see the gospel. And now we're really beginning to understand the faithfulness of God. Because in an amazing way, His faithfulness becomes our own. Now, to show you this, and for me, this broke me like a child. But I want you to notice Hosea chapter 2, verse 14. Watch what God does for us through the gospel. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. He's giving reference to what he's done to Israel before Hosea went and bought his wife back, right? God says, I will allure her. I'll bring her into the wilderness and I will speak kindly to her. And then look at verse 19. In all of our unfaithfulness, this is what our Father does, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and in compassion. And notice verse 20. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. And then you will know the Lord. It's in the context of a marriage. And you need to understand the way that he phrased that you see the faithfulness of God in the marriage, but it's you to me, he says. It's our faithfulness to Him. In other words, through the Gospel, God takes us as prostitutes is the picture. And He makes us faithful. And in our wedding day, it is though we are as pure as white snow. As if we had always been faithful from the beginning. You see how we ought to celebrate God for this gospel? We will stand before Him one day as if we had been faithful from the day that we drew our first breath. And it will not be because of anything we, will do, hey, we have done. It will solely be because of what Christ has done on our behalf on Calvary. You see, not only did He take away our sins, He gave us His righteousness and His faithfulness. You know, we, we often remark, how in the world are we going to stand before God? I've had a lot of conversations. Can you imagine standing before God? I mean, how could you lift your face in all your rebellion and all your sins, standing before God and all of His holiness? How are you going to lift your face? Here's how you're going to lift your face. He's going to lift it for you. And you're going to have a faithfulness about you that you will know that is not your own, yet God has made it your own, and you will stand in joyful faithfulness. Like a bride at her wedding who has saved herself for her husband, you will stand there with joy in your heart because God has made you faithful in this marriage. And you will enjoy Him forever.
Now, what do we do with all this? What do you do with all this? Because this is, I mean, this is great stuff, right? God tells us exactly what to do with all this, by the way. And he tells us that in the book of Psalms. So two Psalms and we're finished. Go back to Psalms, with me, Psalms 40. Hopefully I've swollen your heart up with the joy that we have in the gospel, but I'm going to show you exactly what you're supposed to do in response. Psalm 40, verse 10. I actually want to start in verse 9. Psalms 40, verse 9. Let me tell you what's going on a little bit. David's in a tie. He's crying out to God. And he remembers the faithfulness of God from the last time he got David out of a tight spot, right? So he's reflecting on the last time God was faithful. And look what he did in response to the faithfulness of God the last time. Look at verse 9 and 10. I want you to pay attention to the word I and what David is doing. I have proclaimed glad tidings of righteousness in the great congregation. Behold, I will not restrain my lips, O Lord, you know. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great congregation. In other words, as David reflects on the last time God was faithful, what did he do? He stood before the people of God and he gave testimony of the faithfulness of God. He opened his mouth and gave praises to God for his faithfulness. How do you and I respond to all these wonderful things that we understand in the text from the faithfulness of God? You open your mouth. And you give praise to God for his faithfulness throughout the entirety of your life. But you have to do that more than just in front of the people of God or before the people of God. Because when you do it before the people of God, you're leading them in worship. But there are other places that we need to do this. So turn with me to, to Psalms 89. Let me show you another place. And this is the last psalm, by the way. And we're done. And again, I can't thank you enough. Y'all have been right with me the whole time. Notice Psalm 89, verse 1. I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. Notice, to all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. Because of all the faithfulness you and I have experienced, the way that we respond to that is we open our mouth to every generation. We've moved outside of the congregation. In fact, like everybody in this room has got small kids, and if I had time, I'd take you to Isaiah 38, 19, where it says, a father tells his son about your faithfulness. Now, we got a lot of stories for our sons, but there is no better thing for you to tell your son than to sit down with him and talk to him about the faithfulness of God that you've experienced in your life. That's how you respond. That's how you respond to a faithful God. You open your mouth and tell your sons and your daughters and your family and your church. 
we got to do a lot better job at that. But you know, we're not the only ones doing that. Let me show you one other, one other verse in 89. Look at verse 5. The heavens will praise your wonders, O Lord, your faithfulness also in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies is comparable to the Lord? You know who else is proclaiming the faithfulness of God? The angels in heaven proclaim the faithfulness of God. Which reminded me again, because we're in Christmas, and I reflected on Luke 2. Listen to this. As the angels suddenly appeared in a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in highest, and on earth peace among men with whom He is pleased. You know what they're doing? They're praising God for His faithfulness. Here's the thing that I thought about. You know, if God is gracious, we're going to live 70, 70 years. 80 if He's unusually blessed on us, right? And we're going to have 80 years of a record of the faithfulness of God. You do realize since God created the angels, they, they don't die. They were there in Genesis 3 when God gave the first promise. And so when you get to the Gospels and the angels are sitting there and they, they don't have foreknowledge like God does, and they see the Savior come forth that was promised in Genesis 3 and fulfilled in Luke, the only thing that they can do is lift their hands in praise because God is faithful. You can't speak to an angel who can't tell you about the entirety of time about the faithfulness of God from beginning to end. They've seen it all. There's not one of them that don't have a testimony of the faithfulness of God. And I got to thinking about myself. Paige and I have got a 26-year record of the faithfulness of God. Without fail. Without fail. Right? Ted, how long have you been following the Lord? Now, you got any record of the unfaithfulness of God? No, sir. Right? Chris, how long have you been following the Lord now? 14. Any record of the unfaithfulness of God? Ms. Barma, how long have you been following the Lord? 73. You got a record of His unfaithfulness? No. Eli, I think you're the last one baptized in this church. There's no one among us that has any record of the unfaithfulness of God. Son, you can sleep well at night because God will be faithful to you every single day of your life. And that goes for everyone in here. These babies in your lap. God will not fail to be faithful because that is who our Father is. As we walk into this new year, what hope? I mean, I want to run. We've got so much to look forward to, and it might not be good, but we've got a lot to look forward to because it will all rest in the faithfulness of our Heavenly Father. Amen? Jeremy, come lead us in song, please.